If you'd like to spend some time with real people with a real heart for God, we welcome you to visit us at Harvest Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Our Sunday morning services are held at 1030, and our Family Night Fellowship takes place on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Come experience God's awesome, life-changing power as we worship in His presence, fellowship with one another, commit to discipleship, and share God's love through evangelism. For more information or directions, visit HarvestNova.com. That's HarvestNova.com. I wanted to talk to you this morning about the glory of God, the glory of God. To, to many, when they look at people that serve in the military service, what one of the first things that seems to come in the minds of many people is self-sacrifice. And quite frankly, there is a lot of self-sacrifice in serving, serving in the military. But I, I've got to share with you something, a secret that a lot of people, a lot of you may not know. That's not what goes into the mind of most of us that are chaplains. It may go in, into it to our families when the soldier is gone, and we, and we do go away quite a bit, and, and we don't work at Walmart. The things that we do, the training that we do, sometimes uh, we encounter death, not just going to war, but just actually the training. But it's a choice that all of us make, and a choice that we go into with our eyes wide open. And, in, and, and we receive so much more, in my opinion, from making that choice than some people really understand. And what I'm getting at is I spent quite a few, quite a few years of my life in Europe. My children were pretty much raised in Europe. Uh, basically Germany, we lived all, I could go, go on and take me forever to tell you all the different places in Germany that we lived, uh, using it basically as a staging base to go to Bosnia, Kosovo, and Iraq, and Albania, and places like that, by myself, leaving my wife and family in Germany. But there was, there was so much that was gained by living outside of the United States that gave me a greater appreciation for the United States. There was so many things that I saw when I was in Europe that made, it, made the, this democracy, this experiment that we're trying to deal with so much more important. The, the, the opportunities that, that are afforded us as Americans, you'll never understand until you live in places like Hungary or Kosovo or Iraq or Albania and see what goes on in the world. No matter how much you may want to try, there, there's, there's a distinct difference. One of the things that I gained from being in the military service was the opportunity to go to these places and these lands. And of course, as a chaplain, I, was, I gravitated toward those things of God. It was the, cha- it was the cathedrals in Europe that I was mesmerized with. It was the cathedrals in Europe that I, that I made a point to go see on the weekends. And every, and every weekend that I wasn't working, I was out looking at a cathedral. I remember seeing the gargoyle topped Notre Dame in Paris, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, Italy, the Sagrada Familia in Barcelona, Spain, St. Stephen's Basilica in Budapest, Hungary, the Cologne Dome in Cologne, Germany, the Basilica di Santa Maria del Flore in Florence, Italy, the Cathedral di Santa Eluvia in Barcelona, Spain, St. Stephen's Cathedral in Vienna, Austria, Westminster Abbey in London, England. And these are just, these are just a few of the cathedrals, probably what we call the most famous cathedrals. Uh, did I hear a clock go off? <laughs> I thought maybe I was losing it up here. <laughs> 
No, that's all right. Now, we, we, we preached about distractions last week. And I, and I was thinking as he was preaching about distractions, you don't know what it is to be distracted in, in, in preaching because I've preached in, in Bosnia and Kosovo and Iraq when they were shooting, shooting mortars and, and uh, rockets over top of me. And I, I looked at, look up, my congregation's there, and I look back up and they're gone because everybody's underneath the seats. So don't worry about that. But it is a fascination that I had with being in these countries that basically brought into concept and within the context of what we're going to, I'm going to preach on this morning, the idea of preaching on glory. Because the glory of Europe was all of these cathedrals. But there was something unique about each one of these cathedrals, no matter how great they, and how beautiful they were and how large they were, literally able to sit thousands, up to five to six to seven to 10,000 people they were empty. The glory was gone. The glory that once existed in that particular country, in that particular community, is no longer reflected in the contents and the presence of people in these, in these cathedrals. I had the opportunity when I was in, work in the military to walk the streets of Rome to see the Colosseum where Christians were put to death by lions, to see where Paul walked the streets. I walked the ruins of Greece. I went into Ephesus, into Turkey to see Ephesus and walk the ruins of Ephesus. I spent three and a half hours on an airplane, not an airplane, but a helicopter, flying in a helicopter that was 106 degrees so I could walk and arrive at the place in Babylon, which is in Iraq, so I can see the place where Daniel was at. These are experiences, these are things that uh, I would never take away. I'd, I'd never give up. So lots of times when you think about self-sacrifice, uh, that's not what I think about. I think about the blessings God has given me and the places he's allowed me to go. But in all of these places, whether it be in the ruins or whether it would be in the cathedrals, there was one thing that all had in common. They had lost the glory. They paled in relationship to the former glory that was there. Cathedrals were empty. The streets of the ancient ruins are empty. The glory is no longer there. So it was that my, with that in mind that I am gonna share with you a sermon this morning that quite frankly, uh, was put together over a period of years. It didn't just happen this morning, it didn't just happen this week. It happened as I lived my life for the last 35 years looking at what I believe glory would look like. The greatest warfare on earth today concerns who is going to get the glory. Who is going to get the glory? Now, if you have your Bibles this morning with you, I invite you to turn with me to chapter 17 of John, 17, John chapter 17, verses 13 through 22. And I'm going to ask you just to hold there because I'm going to share some background information. In background, Jesus Christ is approaching the time of his passion. He has shared with his disciples concerning the coming of the Holy Spirit. He has shared with his disciples some of the most intimate instructions 
that you have ever in your life read. And then he turns his attention away from his disciples and he addresses the Father directly. Now it appears in the New Testament that Jesus Christ did much of his praying in private. He would often go away from the Father alone just to pray. In fact, he did this so much so that the disciples finally came to him one day and said, Lord, teach us that we too may know how to pray. On that occasion, Jesus gave to him what is called the Lord's Prayer. It's really the disciples' prayer, the Lord teaching the disciples how to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be our name. But here, instead of going away in private, as was his custom, Jesus addresses his Father with the most, poss- with the most intimate possible language. And he allows his disciples to overhear. Think about it. Jesus is praying. Instead of going away as was his custom, he's in the presence of his disciples. They're all around him, they're looking up, and they realize something is about to happen that has not happened before. And Jesus, turning his back away from the disciples, but in their presence. And now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them. Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou should take them out of the world, but that thou should keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. And friends, look very carefully at verse chapter verse 20. Jesus says, Neither pray I for them alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Friends, you know what Jesus is saying in that passage of Scripture? He's saying, I'm not only praying for my disciples, I'm praying for you in this chapel, this church this morning, each one of you. Whoever believes in his name, that perpetuates to where we are this morning. Jesus praying for you right now, right here. He's praying for you. That they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. That they also be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Let's pray. My gracious Heavenly Father, I again call on you, Lord. I call on you for your strength. I call on you, Father, for your abilities to work in and through me. I pray again, Lord, that your message would be clear and my words articulate, that people here would have a receptive heart to the things of God, that we may together, Lord, look and glean from your word, that would make us stronger and make us different. That would make us make a difference in this world. Be with us this day, be with us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It is the desire for glory that is always a separating factor. But the glory of God does not separate people. The glory of God unites people. And Christ is saying, the glory you gave to me, Father, I have given to your church. 
Now, if you back up in your thinking, we find that Jesus Christ reigned in the glory of eternity past. What was that glory like? I really don't know. I'm not sure. I, we, we can glean from the scriptures a little bit. It was the glory of absolute power. It was the glory of being the originator of all life. It was the glory of living in a place where no man, the light that no man could approach. In fact, it was the glory that filled all of heaven. We get a little bit of a glimpse of what that glory might have looked like when you look to Revelation chapter 1 because it gives us the picture of the New Jerusalem. It says the very presence of Jesus Christ will light up all of the New Jerusalem. There's no reason for the sun, no reason for the stars because Jesus Christ himself, his presence will light up the firmament. And it was Jesus Christ who dwelt in the glory, who dwelt in this particular glory and was comfortable in it. It was the sum total of all of his characteristics. All the creatures of heaven were aware of his glory. All the angels of heaven bowed at his feet. And Christ was comfortable in that setting. Philippians, the second chapter, tells us that he laid aside his glory. And he came to earth not as a ruling monarch, not as a king, but as a manservant. And suddenly, in a matter of minutes... If you don't account until the time he came to an adult, he has made the change, the transition from being co-equal with the Father, not grasping for glory of any kind, to where now he is the servant man on earth. I think one of the most powerful pictures in the New Testament is when Jesus Christ is kneeling down before his disciples with a basin of water and a towel draped around his waist. And the one who dwelt in the glory of eternity past, Jesus Christ begins to wash the feet of the disciples. How do you have glory when you are a servant? He not only washed Peter's feet, but James and John and Bartholomew. And you know who else was there? You know who else was present? Judas, the Christ. The only begotten of the Father, the servant man, knelt down before the traitor and washed his feet. Friends, it is no wonder to me that when John recorded his vision of Jesus Christ, what he had learned, it was this. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. It was not an untouchable glory. It was not a glory sequestered in heaven there in the light that no one could touch, that could not be tried, that could not be approached. Then Jesus addresses his Father and says this, Father, the, Lord, the glory you gave to me, I have given to them. You know what he's saying, friends? He's saying this, the same mark that was on him, that marked him begotten of the Father, the glory that was associated with him, that was so powerful that even in his passion and ultimate death, the centurion standing by, the guard at the foot of the cross is brought to confess, surely this man was a son of God. You could not robe his glory and keep it under. Now it wasn't easy because there was always the constant temptation that Satan kept before him to instead of being satisfied with the glory of being begotten of the Father, to try and lay hold of the glory of the world instead. And so Satan came to him. You don't have to go to the cross, Jesus. 
All you have to do is bow down before me. Look at the nations of the world, Jesus. You want the nations of the world? Bow before me. All these things I will give you. Glory will be yours and a lot cheaper and easier than the way you're trying to get it. And Jesus, rather than being attracted to this, there is the most powerful rebuke as he lays hold of the strength of the word and he identifies himself as being only satisfied with the glory of the Father. But the people wanted to make him king. They were angry when he would not allow them to place a crown of glory on his head. And instead he walked out of their midst. Again, you know what it says? What it says to me? It says that if the glory of Jesus Christ is the glory that he has given to the church, then we do not have the right for one moment to be satisfied with any other kind of glory. To never trade away the glory of God for the glory of the world. That we have a treasure, we have a stamp on the church that says, it is not begotten of man, it is begotten of God. And the glory that we deal with, the glory that we betray is not the glory that this world will always be able to understand, will always be able to see, measure, or quantify. But it is the glory that makes the church full of grace and full of truth. And with grace and truth are brought together that we may be one as the Father and the Son are one. It is so tempting to have another kind of glory. And Satan will offer it to you. This glory that we share, this glory that marks us as begotten of the Father cannot be veiled. As believers and followers of Christ striving to get along in an alien world, we must be extremely careful that we never, never trade away the glory of God for world acceptance. This world is not happy with the, with the opportunity to do the sin that's going on and they continue to sin. They start, be, they, sin has been made to be right, right is made to be wrong. And even though they have the ability and even though they have protections by law to sin, that's not what they're satisfied with. They want acceptance. The morality, the values that are of this world, they want the church to accept it. And we cannot accept it. The glory of God in our lives should make us different. A difference that might tend to make us some make some uncomfortable. A difference that we must never apologize for. You know, I think if you had come into the presence of Jesus Christ, you would have felt something like that. Not always with a theological definition of who he was and what his relationship was to the Father. But I do not believe it would have been easy to take this casually. He would not fit in socially. Socially, You could not put him in a box or you could not put him in a slot. He was totally man, but he was also totally God. And in conclusion, if the glory that we have, the glory that we share is not the product of God, is not begotten of God, and all the glory that you can buy and all the glory that we can accumulate will be at the expense of trading away the glory that the Father gave to the Son. So the question I started with was, who will get the glory? Who will get the glory? Friends, those who refuse to trade it away, 
Those who are servants, whose lives reflect a glory that is full of grace and truth. And it is when that glory is allowed to shine that they may become one, Christ says, even as we are one. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 12, it says, those that want to exalt themselves, God will bring down. In fact, the actual word, they will be abased. Do you understand that we have been marked with a stamp, begotten of God? That we have the stamp of Jesus Christ upon our lives? That we are supposed to be different? That we are supposed to make some people uncomfortable? We try so hard sometimes as a church to be accepted. We try so hard to make people, make people comfortable. Sometimes it's not, they don't need to be comfortable. One of the things I learned when I was an officer in the, in the chapel corps, you know, when you're in the army, language, uh, profanity is fairly common. You know, pretty common. I mean, sometimes you wonder if they know any other language. It's, it's its own language. You got so many explicatives between every word. And I would have, I would sit on, I would sit in all the command staff meetings, and the commander would get to his place, and it would be this, that, the other thing. And I remember one day being checked to the Lord as this was going on. It wasn't my place to interrupt the commander. It wasn't my place to tell the commander uh, he shouldn't do this or he shouldn't do that. At least that was my impression at that moment. But I remember him looking at me in front of the table and he was saying all these words. He says, but chaplain, you understand, you understand, you understand. He finally said, chaplain, you know, I've at, you know, I said three or four times, you understand, but you're not acting like you understand. I said, well, sir, maybe I don't understand. He says, what? I said, you said, you're, I said sir, you're telling me, it's, you want me to tell you that it's okay, but sir, maybe it's not okay. I said, I'm not God, I'm only a servant. But maybe it's not okay. Maybe what you're saying and how you're saying it's not okay. And he came to me and said, chaplain, he says, you're the only chaplain that ever said that to me. I said, well, I'm not telling you that what you're, what you're doing is wrong. I, I, it's not something that I can do. God, God's chair would be a long time ago and cleanses my mouth, so I can't do that. I said, but if you can do that and, and feel right before God, that's between you and God. I said, but you're asking, you're asking, you're telling me to say it's okay, and there's a lot of people in this room. I don't want, it, I don't want everybody in this room to think it's okay. I made people uncomfortable. I spent 35 years of my life making people feel uncomfortable. I share with you, I wore crosses that made people feel uncomfortable. I didn't even have to say a word, but I made people feel uncomfortable. I had a commander when I was in uh, Korea. I got to the, they, they uh, sent me straight to my, my assignment. Soldier pulls up in my, pulls, drives me up in my vehicle. He introduces me to the commander. Commander looks at me, he's never seen me before, seen me before in his life. He looks at me and says, I don't like a chaplain, I don't want a chaplain, I don't need a chaplain, and walked away. Well, you gotta get the picture. I had left my wife and children on the tarmac in, in Dulles Airport. I looked out the window and saw my wife and my kids lined up, waving at the airplane goodbye, knowing, not knowing if I'm going to see them for another year. 
when I would see them again. And the first greeting I receive when I get to my station is, I don't like chaplains, I don't want a chaplain, I don't need a chaplain. I'm going to tell you, I didn't feel too great at that particular moment. But I will tell you, in the course of that year, God did more work in my life and more work in the life of the people that were there uh, through my ministry than probably all my years put together. That commander did not like me, but he had a reason. I didn't know why. I went to his office the next day and I said, sir, I need to talk to you. He says, I have nothing to say to you. What about the first time we talked that you did not understand? I don't like chaplains, don't want a chaplain, don't need a chaplain, get out of my sight. I walked away. Three weeks later, I said, you know, I got to talk to the commander. I mean, I, you know, I don't know whether you're aware of it, but I'm assigned to, a, to this unit. I work directly for the commander. So I have to have a conversation with the commander. He has to, he has to tell me his vision. I got to figure out what's going on. And I, got, I, need, to, I need this. That, that's the way it works. He's also, by, by the way, my raider. He's the guy who writes my paperwork that tells whether I get to stay in the Army or not. Three weeks later, four weeks later, go by it again. The same conversation. Chaplain, I don't know what, what you're doing. I don't really care about having a chaplain. Don't need a chaplain. Don't want a chaplain. Six or seven weeks into it, maybe several months into it, the assemblies of God headquarters got a hold of me and said, Wilson, we understand that you're not going to be in the Army much longer. I'm going, oh, that's, that's news to me. Well, your commander has apparently made it known that he does not like you, does not want you, and doesn't need you. And we're going to do what we can to find you a church on the outside. And I'm going, what in the world's going on here? A few months go by later, and uh, for whatever reason, I, I, I kind of give up trying to get work for this commander. I just can't work for this commander. Uh, I've done all that I can to try to reach him. So I go down the street, down the street from where, where, where I'm at, I was in a place called Camp LaGuardia. There was uh, Camp Red Cloud was about two blocks down the road. And I went there and in the, in the chaplain there was a senior chaplain, full bird colonel, and I was just a young captain. And he asked me if I could help him. He said, uh, I need somebody to help you, to help. He says, for whatever reason, the soldiers out here really like you. They like the way you preach. And would you take over, take over the chapel program? So I said, sure. I'm not doing anything down the street. And um, so I did. I started taking over this chapel program. And the chapel program exploded. We had quite a few hundred people. And uh, one of the people that, that came to that search was General Carpenter. General Carpenter was the three-star general. Unbeknownst to me, he, he had a fond liking to me that I was unaware of. So one day he decides that he's going to go back to the United States, and he found out that my, my wife was with me in, in Korea, unsponsored. I didn't have an automobile, so we would take the bus system. And he says, Chaplain, and this is General Carpenter, he says, I know that you're going to, uh, I know that your, your wife is here with you, and I'm going back to the States for, for about a month. While I'm gone, I want you to take my car and drive it and uh, you know, take your wife around and just have an automobile. I'm going to be, and again, you know, I'm a young captain. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really thinking straight. And I said, sure, sir, thank you very much. And, and, and the front of the car is a license plate with three stars. I'm a young captain driving around in a three-star vehicle. Now, in the Army, when you see a vehicle and it has something on the license plate, it don't make a difference 
if it's higher ranking than you, you salute it. So I, I went out, you know, I, I've saluted trucks, I've saluted cars because it had stars on it. You know, you, you know, so, I, so I'm driving around and I've gotten colonels saluting me, I've got everybody in the world saluting me. I'm just a young captain, they can't see in the vehicle, they don't know who it is. <laughs> but that, that was kind of cool. So one day I'd take that vehicle and drive up to my office, which is on the post where I'm assigned, and I'd pull up in front of my office and I have it sitting there. And uh, I wasn't thinking, and the, the gate guards called the commander's office, and the commander's office, everybody got called, the whole installation came, got called to attention because all of a sudden now there's a three-star that has come onto their installation. Well, that three-star is me, you know, and I'm not a three-star. So the commander sees, sees this vehicle parked out in front of my office, and I guess curiosity got the best of him, because that's the first time he ever came to my office. And he came into my office and he, and he, he said, uh, Chaplain, why is there a three cars, three star car sitting in front of your office? I drove it there, sir. I mean, and make, make, make a long story short, he again, I gave him more fodder for him not to like me anymore. And I stood at attention for, I think, at least 20 minutes where he told me everything about me that I did not know about my mother, my father, my aunt, my uncles, in very graphic language. And I said, I got it, sir. And uh, now there's a purpose for everything done under the sun. God has a purpose. And, and God, when he calls someone, he, he takes care of them. He didn't just hang you out to dry. Several weeks later, that one that, that car pulls up in front of my, my office again. But this time, it was the general. And he came in there to the general. The general came into my office and says, Chaplain, I want to talk to you about some private matters that it's about myself. I don't want to talk about, I'm not here to talk about business. I want to talk about spiritual problems. Well, that, we got about halfway through it. I was, he was at the couch in front of me. I was behind my desk. I was standing up to go around to, to, to sit with the general. When all of a sudden, my door of my office got slammed, slammed into, and it was my commander's foot going through the door, and he busted the lock, busted it, came in there, he was screaming and he was hollering. He says, Chaplain Kirby, here you, here you are with this vehicle again, da 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 And I'm looking, I'm looking like, sir, you know, I'm trying to get him to you know, calm down. It didn't work. And all of a sudden, the general got up very slowly. I remember, I remember just like it was yesterday. He walked, walked around the corner, looked down at it, saw, saw, the, saw the commander. He says, Commander, you have a problem with my chaplain. He said, no, sir. He says, Chaplain Kirby, I know this is your office. He says, but I think me and the commander need to have a talk for a few minutes. So if you don't mind you know, leaving the air for just a couple minutes, I, I shouldn't take any more than 10 minutes to say what I have to say. So I'm not sure what conversation took place after that, but after that, the commander left. He didn't say anything to me. And then uh, about a week later, I, you know, I finally said, I, I got to talk to this commander. I, I, you know, it's important. I'm, I'm assigned to him. He's my responsibility. They, you know, I, you know, when you're in the army, you really feel indebted to the commander. I mean, I, you know, I, I felt like I, I felt a sense of loyalty to him, even though he treated me the way he did. I, I still felt like he, I was his chaplain. So uh, anyway, again, I, w I was called up by the, the deputy general of the division. Another two stars. Says, Chaplain Kirby, I want to see you. 
tomorrow in Yangsan, uh, we're going to have lunch together, and then we were going to have a talk. And I'm going, oh my goodness gracious, I'm in trouble now. And there's going to be some other chaplains there. He says, but I want to talk to you. I want to make sure that you're there particularly. So we got around the table, and he says, okay, chaplains, I want you to tell me one thing that I could do for you as your general. And so everybody told the general what he wanted to. Then he got to me and said, Chaplain Kirby, that, that does not mean you. I'll talk to you after this is over. I said, oh, my goodness. So then he, then he, he leads me after it was all over. He leads me up to the bar. You ever know that? I, I never spent more times in a bar in my whole life. I never went to a bar until I became a chaplain. <laughs> I never went to a bar before I became a chaplain. But that's where they go. They go to bars. That's the Oak Club. And so we went into the bar room, sat there. I'm sitting on the stool. You want something to drink? No, I'm, I'm very fine, sir. I'll, I'll sit here. I don't even want to drink water. I don't even want nothing. I just want to get this over with, get my chewing out so I can go home in my head. He looked at me and said, Chaplain, I want to know something. He says, I pulled your records and I saw that you were in Fort Hood, Texas before. You've been in aviation before. You worked with the commanders before. You got good records and pulled everything. You're considered by your peers and by your chaplains, by the Corps as one of the best chaplains you know, around. Why can't you take care of this commander? Why can't you square him away? And I said, sir, I can't. I mean, he's the he's commander. He's, he, I, I tried very many, quite a few times. He says, chaplain, he says, put all that in writing that, we, that you, you've had tried to have a conversation. He says, I will relieve him tomorrow. And I said, sir, I can't do that. I'm his chaplain. I, I can't do that. I said, you're, you're the boss. If you think he needs to be relieved, you need to relieve him. You're the two-star general, sir. I'm just his captain. And he shook his head. He says, chaplain, I'm, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. So the next day, I go back to, to my unit. And I said, you know, I need to really tell the commander what happened last night with the CG because he's not happy. And I want my commander to realize, you know, I'm not trying to go against him. I'm working for him. So finally, I got into this car. We got it. Went to the, went to the office. He was very gracious to me. I walked into his office. I went back to the veranda. There was a picture there of a beautiful lady. And I said, "Sir, that's nice-looking nice woman." I thought it was his wife. Uh, next thing I know, he started yelling, screaming, and hollering. And the next thing, he threw me out of his office. Get out of my office! And I'm going like, "What in the world?" And uh, so I, I left. Went back again, you know, I, I, I glutton for punishment. I kept going back again. You know, you know they say insanity is doing the same thing over again, expecting a different result. When God's involved, it, it, it kind of messes that equation up. But I went back again. This time he, 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 he got me so upset, started talking, got me so upset. I said, sir, I'm fed up with you. Let me tell you what I think of you personally. And I went beyond my chaplain spear went beyond my grade level as a command as a captain and told this colonel everything that I thought of him as a, as far as his command leadership style as him as a person and without using profanity but it was very profane but it was no profanity used and then I slammed the door out of the, went out of his office and I was fine until I slammed the door then I realized you know I couldn't shouldn't have done that because these walls are very thin, and we're in a quasi hut on an airfield. His office, the office, the door, the walls are like paper. Everyone in the office, the S1, which is a, the, the uh, executive officer, the 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 uh, his, his deputy, 
the S3, the training officer, they all had their offices there. All the, the highest ranking officers of that unit were there. And they had just heard me tell the commander what I thought of him personally and thought of him as a leader. And then they saw me slam the door and I opened, when I slammed the door and walked out, to, walked out of his office, I looked around and they're all out of their offices now looking at me with this deer in the headlight look like, what have you done, chaplain? And I'm thinking, I just killed myself. And he's not gonna let this go. He's not gonna, I mean, he can't let this go. He's gotta do something. I know he's gotta do something. So I'm waiting for the door to open behind me and him come run out the door. And it was kind of like something out of a mystery or some kind of, it was a magical, it was a God thing. All of a sudden the front door of the closet had opened and the commander's door opened. The commander's focusing on me and upset and wanting to kill me. But all of a sudden he sees the, the CG standing at the door. And the CG walks in and he says, Chaplain Kirby, you're the, per you're the person I wanted to see. I just want you to know that I think you are the finest chaplain that we have in the chaplain corps. That you, are, that you have more leadership skills than anybody that I know in this unit. And if anybody has a problem with you, they have to go, to me, go through me first. And the commander just got to look, and then he says, now, commander, I need to talk to you a few minutes. And I don't know what happened, but he went inside the door and I heard these words. And the commander, the CG said, sir, I mean, commander, I won't say his name. He says, do you expect to be in command when you wake up tomorrow morning? And the commander says, well, I don't know. He says, well, it's very doubtful because you probably won't be in command when you go to sleep tonight. We need to talk. Now, the point of the story is not just to tell you how God was taking care of me because God did take care of me every, in every step of the way. That man was taken away from my rating scheme. I, had, I was given another rate, raider actually. The CG said he'd rate me and he ended up rating me. But this is what I found out later on. This is the rest of the story. I leave that unit and I go to Fort Leavenworth, Kansas to an advanced schooling. And when I get there, the deputy of that unit is there. And he comes to me and says, Chaplain Kirby, I want to tell you, I never met a chaplain with more guts than you in my whole life. I said, more guts than me? I was always the guy sitting there whipping on the side wondering if I was coming or going. He says, man, you, are, you have more guts than any chaplain I've ever met in my life. I said, explain to me that. What do you mean by that? And, and let, me get, let me tell you the story. When I walked into the room at Fort Leavenworth, there was all these officers. And they were sitting down. I was a young captain. And I, everyone in that room was either lieutenant colonel, a major or a lieutenant colonel. And when they saw me, they, they'd all heard the story. And they got up and they were clapping for me. And I'm thinking, why are they clapping? I mean, it was, it was terrible. The whole time I was there, it was terrible. I never did anything to change that commander's life. I never affected him. There was nothing that I could do to make him change his lifestyle or make him think about what he was doing. He said, Chaplain, when you got there, we went into his office and walked over to that veranda. He said, I remember seeing you go over there, pick up that picture, and then you went over to the door and you shut the door, which he's right. I went in there, picked up the picture, shut the door, since she was a beautiful lady and then got thrown out of the office. That was pretty much all I remember. He says, we know that you went in there and told him that, that, that he was having an affair and that his wife was on the installation, and that his girlfriend was on the installation and you gave him, you gave him till the evening to, to kick her off or you were gonna to have charges run up against him. We all know that. I said, you all know that? That's the first time I heard it. 
Come to find out that the commander was a, was a, was a, was a son of a Baptist preacher involved in an affair with this woman that he had brought over to Korea, actually brought her onto the installation, and was so full of guilt that every time he saw me, he thought I was, I was threatening him. Friends, I, I'm here to tell you that if you're truly a Christian, your life makes a difference. It should make a difference in the lives of others, and, and you should not be so much of a hurry to make people feel comfortable, because maybe they need to feel uncomfortable. They're not going to repent if they feel comfortable. It's not your job to make them feel comfortable. It's not your job to make them uncomfortable either. It's your job to represent Jesus Christ and be one even as he is one. That we be part of the church, that we be part of God, that we are engrafted into into who Jesus Christ is. Because if you're not, you'll never make a difference. We'll never make a difference. The only difference this world will make is by being the difference. Yes, it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's lonely. I'll tell you, 35 years as a chaplain, it, it was lots of times it was lonely, but there was a lot of great people also that they came into my life that loved God and cared about God. It might be lonely, but that's the price that we might pay to bring people to the kingdom of God because there's people that are dying. There's people that are lost. There's people that are not told the truth because we're afraid to tell the truth. There's people living in sin because we're afraid to tell them what the truth is. Because we want to be accepted. Because we want to be part of the crowd. We We don't want to offend someone. Friends, I'll tell you that Jesus Christ is an offense to this world. I never thought I'd live in a world where a politician, if they said they loved God and prayed God and asked for God's help, would automatically be rejected, unacceptable for, for politics. But that's the way it is in the world that we live today. You want God's glory? Don't trade it away. Don't trade it away. It was very expensively bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. <laughs>